If you're out in the lobby grabbing your coffee, go ahead and get that last cup of coffee and make your way in. It's good uh, to see you this morning. Glad that you could join us, and thanks for being here at Trinity Bible Church. And this morning, we're going to worship the Lord together in many different ways, because uh, when we gather as a church, we gather to honor the Lord with our lips and with our actions, and we're going to worship God through music in just a minute. We're going to worship God uh, through the reading of his word and, of course, through prayer and even a time of fellowship. It is all about uh, coming uh, together in the morning to honor God by giving ourselves to him. What a great reminder that um, we gather together not to primarily receive but to give. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, we've been worshiping God throughout the week, and as we begin a new week together on this Sunday morning, that it's a, a week we're beginning by worshiping the Lord. And so I uh, just want to again say thank you for being here. You see that, 
that we have these words that are important to us. We learn, we grow, we serve, and we do that together. That's how we pursue being disciples of Jesus here at Trinity. And uh, we're going to do all three of those things together this morning. So what I'd like to do now is read from the scriptures as our call to worship. uh, And then I'll ask us to stand and, and we'll pray into a time of worship through song. All right. And so here's what it says. It's a selected reading from Psalm 135. The Psalms are a great songbook, songs, uh, ancient songs of the Hebrews that remind us of who God is and how great he is. And so a fitting reading to begin our time together this morning. So as you um, prepare your hearts, listen to the word of the Lord from Psalm 135. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all the ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them. Let us praise the Lord together this morning. Would you stand as we pray? Father, how grateful we are that we have this privilege, this honor to come before you together as the church and gathered believers. Father, we want to begin this new week together. Lord, you know that we need the refreshment. We need the the restoration of soul. We need to be re-energized, we need to be encouraged, but also, Lord, challenged. Challenged to live out our faith before our friends and family and before an unbelieving world. And Father, we need to, uh, to just be reminded of how good and gracious and generous you are to us. Lord, this word that was just read reminds us that all that we see in creation is yours. You have created it. It is for you, and it is for your good pleasure. Lord, thank you that we are your creation, and that you love us, Lord, unconditionally. Love us so much that you sent us the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, now we offer up ourselves to you in worship. Father, may our voices join together as one, and our hearts and just cry out to you this time of worship through song. May you be honored and blessed. May it be a sweet sound to your ear. In Jesus' name, that matchless name we pray, amen. Church, let's worship the Lord together.
So good to see the great fellowship. Remember that um, we have uh, opportunities uh, every Sunday morning to get together a little early. We have what we call our uh, breakfast fellowship or coffee fellowship, 9.45 every Sunday morning. You can come a little bit early, get a little uh, breakfast and uh, some coffee and get some extra fellowship in before we, we worship. And so just wanted to remind you of that. And then, of course, after service, plenty of time to to catch up, so it's good to see people just uh, rejoicing in the Lord and encouraging each other. And maybe you haven't seen each other in a while, and so that is good. And of course, this is always that time uh, right after worship that our kids go down the hall. We love to include them in our worship, and so I'm grateful that parents uh, keep their children with us during our time of worship through song, and so uh, it's wonderful to see them worshiping and learning, uh, seeing what it looks like to honor God uh, in their time of worship. And so we thank the Lord for them, continue to pray for uh, our children's ministry. And uh, just a few items of what we like to call uh, church life, just getting caught up in the, you know, sort of the life of the church and what's going on since last that we have met. Uh, we have um, our missions team, which even though we, we often, many of our ministries sort of uh, take a, a break for the, the summer months. You know, uh, our missions team is is uh, working hard, and so uh, we thank Andrew Elizabeth who head that up and everybody as part of the team. Uh, just two reminders regarding our missions ministry. Uh, three reminders, actually. Make sure you pray for our missionaries. Uh, the map is out in the hallway. I referenced that map last week about our perspective, but pray for each of our, our missionaries and there are organizations all throughout the world. We support local missionaries and global missionaries just sharing the, the love of Jesus and the gospel, the good news of Christ throughout the world. And so ask you to pray, continue to pray for them. Uh, but also know that our missions team has created some more blessing bags. So we thank you for that. And remember that uh, those are the bags that are out in the lobby, right to the left of the kitchen door there, that you can take one or two. Um, and uh, what we do is we recommend that you keep them in your car 
And whenever you're out and about, maybe heading to work, or going to the store, going to the park on the weekend, um, and to pray for an opportunity to be able to help somebody, because perhaps you'll uh, pass somebody or, or talk to somebody or come across somebody that looks like they are in need and can use some uh, some help with uh, some uh, some physical help, you know, maybe some items, a hygiene kit or, or uh, something they might need to keep them going that you can use that blessing bag to give them to bless them with a very practical uh, way and at the same time uh, prayerfully open a door so that you can share the good news of Jesus. And so it's a way to meet a practical need but then uh, open a conversation about the Lord Jesus. So we recommend you take them. There's all kinds of good stuff in there, things that people may need. If you need, looks like somebody that's um, less fortunate and is in need, uh, be a great opportunity to have it in your car and you can hand it to them. It's a great conversation starter as well. And that's the idea. So we thank you for putting them together. And then uh, also just a great update. We want to thank everybody on behalf of the missions team that donated uh, items towards the help in Ukraine. We've been doing that for uh, many months now, and um, not only for those of you that donated financially, but that brought in different items. Uh, those were all brought down to St. George's um, Ukrainian Church down in South Jersey in Yardville, and um, I think they were brought yesterday, and uh, they were just so thankful because all of those donated items are going go to go directly to help people in need in Ukraine, and so uh, we thank you to everybody that participated in that. And just remember to keep uh, praying for them. We have our prayer wall up on our website. So just keep checking that out, trinityallenwood.com. And then finally, uh, just an update. Um, next week, we'll have a guest speaker. Uh, it is Dr. Greg Haig, and he has been here numerous times in the past. It's been a while. But he is uh, a mentor of mine, um, and uh, I've known him for many years, and uh, a former pastor of mine, and uh, he is also one of the directors of uh, Chosen People Ministries in New York. He heads up the Charles Feinberg Center, which is a seminary that focuses on training people for Jewish evangelism. But even more than all that, he is a very good and, and dear old friend. And so he will join us next week to share what the Lord has put in his heart. I will be here. And um, it's, it's not often that we have a guest speaker where I get to also be here. It's normally if I'm away or traveling. And so... I'm looking forward to the blessing of having him here. So spread the word about that. But he will join us uh, to share the message next Sunday. And uh, I heard a rumor that next Sunday is uh, the unofficial beginning of summer. Is that right? Is it Memorial Day already? Can you believe that? That is next Sunday, am I right? And so it's crazy, but we are there. And yesterday the weather felt like it. Today it does, doesn't it? It felt good, but um, yes, we are quickly approaching that season, and maybe it is a little special meaning to us that live down by the Jersey Shore, right? And uh, it often means uh, the blessing of more traffic and more people. And yesterday, I was out uh, going to the store real briefly, and um, I was able to get out for an hour, and, and I, I said to Claudia, why don't we um, you know, drive uh, through uh, Ocean Grove and then through Bradley Beach and down that beautiful drive, and boy, was that a great idea or what, you know? <laughs> So we went, but we weren't really driving. We kind of like parked, you know. But it was just a great reminder of all the people that love our part of the state, right? And so uh, we, what does that say? That we welcome all the bennies, right? So, and so anyway, um, yes, it's an exciting time, but um, uh, we just look forward to our summer season here together. Uh, so what I want to do is, is kind of give a, a quick recap of where we are in our, 
our series. We took a couple of weeks off. We had Mother's Day, and if you remember last week, uh, Lord put on my heart to bring a special message where we went through the whole story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and kind of looked at how um, it is organized in a way to kind of give us perspective. But today we, uh, we uh, resume our journey through the books of First and Second Peter. We are in First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. That's our passage. And when I read it in just a minute, it'll be up on the screen as usual, but please use your own Bibles. We encourage you, bring your Bibles to church. Uh, there are Bibles, uh, should be on the, the seats in front of you. You can open your Bible app on your phone. But we'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 25 in just a moment. Um, but the, the title of our series is, you see it up there, Following Jesus in a Hostile World. And, uh, you know, all of Scripture is relevant. It's always relevant. But I think going through these books is so important, especially in a time such as this, in uh, the state of our country and our world, of course, and realizing that maybe now, more than ever before, that as Jesus taught and as the Old Testament and New Testament predicted, that, um, that we live as Christians in a world that is, like it or not, hostile to our faith. We might not always experience it. We're going to talk about what that looks like this morning in, in specific ways. But, uh, but yet we all, I'm sure, can recount stories of what it looks like to be perhaps ridiculed for our faith, to be mocked or purposely try to be embarrassed because of what we believe or even directly challenged. And I'll share some personal stories about that as well. But, but see, Peter was writing... The Apostle Peter was writing these letters to a group of believers, newer believers, who he calls exiles. They were the scattered ones, and they were dispersed throughout the area, that region, and these particular churches and Christians he wrote these letters to were in the area that we now know as sort of southern Turkey, that part of the world, and they were being oppressed. They were being persecuted for their faith. But see, the, the real persecution we might think about, I say real, but the level of persecution we might uh, think about when we think about Christians being persecuted hadn't really come yet. When we think about people being jailed, tortured, killed right for their faith, which we know has happened over the last 2,000 years and continues today in places around the world, that hadn't really entered the picture of the church just yet when Peter was writing these letters. But yet, in a way, it makes it more relatable to us in this part of the world and this part of the country because the kind of persecution that the readers of his letters were, were experiencing was more like being mocked, being ridiculed, being made fun of being embarrassed at, being um, um, dismissed. And that's perhaps the kind of persecution we might relate to better or maybe that we have experienced in our life. So when we read the words of the Apostle Peter in these letters, we see that's sort of the context and, and, and we can relate to that in some ways. But see, Peter is writing to these people, and in the first chapter, the beginning of chapter two, we remember what he does is he first tells these readers who they are. He reminds them 
who they are in Christ. And he reminds them that they are precious in God's sight, that they are the elect of God, that they are chosen, that they are even privileged as Christians, but yet they are in exile. So he reminds them of their identity in Christ, and don't we need that often? Don't we need to be reminded, again, we talked about perspective last week, to be reminded of who we are in Christ, because every day we're living in the world and we go about our business, our jobs, our families, our homes, and, and all of that, and yet we are to be reminded that, wait, we are living the Christian life day to day. We don't just put aside being Christians for Sunday morning, at least I hope we don't. But see, we are Christians and believers in Christ 24-7, are we not? And so therefore, Peter is writing to these, these believers and saying, first, remember who you are. Because yes, you're going to face persecution, but remember that in Christ, in God's eyes, you are precious and beloved. You are the elect and the chosen and the privileged. But in the world's eyes, in the world's eyes, you are ridiculed and you were looked down upon, you see? So we need to first remember that and choose how are we to look at ourselves as the world sees us because of our faith, or how God sees us, the one who made us. So that's what Peter does first. In a nutshell, wrapping up where, a summary of where we've been, that's what he's doing. And so he's giving them great hope because they had been losing hope because of their persecution. That ever happened to you where you just kind of feel like you're losing that edge, that losing that hope and seeing, wait, what is it, what's it all worth it for? Like, what is it really for? And we need to be reminded. But see, that's why we are to go back to Scripture every day, right? Whenever you, you do your devotions, you, you go, you open the Scriptures and you study, we need that because it reminds us of not only who our God is, and what he has done for us in Christ, but who we are. So Peter, in these letters, is reminding them who, you, who they are. But then, of course, he addresses right the real issue that, yes, they will be persecuted because we are followers of Jesus in a hostile world in church. We have to realize the reality of our situation not just because we're living in it now, what we read about in the news, what we see happening in the courts and laws that are passed. It just seems more and more that, that things are coming against Christians and the Christian church. But let us remember, more importantly, that Jesus taught us it would be so. Did he not? He said to his disciples, the world will hate you because they hate me. That's what Jesus said. So we are to expect it. Welcome it, maybe not, but expect it, yes. Because Jesus said it would be so. And so that is the, the theme, the background, the perspective of what Peter is doing. And he is writing to these believers that we can relate to who are being persecuted, to tell them, look, you are precious in God's sight. Remember that even as people make fun of you for your faith, even as they shut you out of um, the stores, even as they, 
they stop you from being friends, doing business, even as they, they uh, mock you outright in public. But see, now for our passage today, more specifically, what we're going to look at, and this is so important, maybe an aspect of our faith we don't look at often enough, Peter teaches us that our public life as Christians is so very, very important. It's crucial to who we are as believers individually, but also as a church. You see, we have our private lives, and we understand that, and he starts with that because it begins there in our hearts, our private Christian life, you know, what we learn about the Lord and ourselves, how we grow in our faith, how we learn and grow and serve together. But he makes a point, he says, but look, you are, no doubt about it, no questions asked, you are to live your life of faith publicly before others. It's not being the closet Christian where you become a Christian and nobody ever knows it, and you just sit in your corner and be your Christian. He says we are to be Christians in public and all that that looks like. And so that's where he's going in our passage for today. And so he talks about what that means in, in light of different relationships and relationships with the government, being submissive to authority, to each other, realizing that we have different kinds of relationships in our lives, and yet in every one of them, we are to live out our faith with respect and honor, representing Christ with integrity in all that we do, not just behind closed doors, but out in public. You know, if you were to define integrity, I think a good way to define it is that you are the same person when people are looking than when nobody's looking, right? Do you say the same things? Do you do the same things when nobody's looking? Because we're reminded, right, that Christ is always looking and he is always there with us. And Peter kind of wraps up today, you'll see, and, and I'm gonna read this in a minute, that we do all this, we submit to the authority, we, we honor each other, we live out Christian lives with integrity, with, with, with biblical morals, we do so not for the sake of the other people, although they are blessed by it. We do it to honor God. So what is our motivation? We always need to check our heart. What's our motivation? Are we doing these things as Christians because we want to honor and please God or ourselves? So that's where we are now, so I'd like to read this for you again. It'll be up on the screen, um, or um, uh, you can certainly read it in your Bibles. Uh, and so um, here's what it says. And again, this is 1 Peter, and it is chapter 2, and it's verses 11 through 25. I'll read it for you. Maybe up on the screen, we'll see. But here's what it is. If you don't have your Bibles in front of you, not up there on the screen. Just listen. Listen to the word of God. It says this. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Boy, Peter is pouring out his heart, is he not? Telling us that we are to live our Christian lives publicly before others. To see and to be brought to him. The public life of a Christian. We're going to unpack this just briefly together. There's Five brief points I want to make. But let me ask you, in, in, in light of this, and as we unpack this just briefly together, um, think about a time in your life when you were persecuted for being a Christian. When maybe somebody in your family or, or a friend, maybe it happened especially when you were a newer Christian, when somebody mocked you, when somebody tried to put you down, when somebody called you out, especially in front of others for your faith, what was that like for you? See, that's what the readers of Peter's letters were experiencing, and that's, I think, the kind of Christian persecution that we might experience more and more as well. So there were a couple of stories from, from my life that, that came to mind as I was thinking through this passage and different times of my life where something like that has happened to me. There was a time when Claudia and I were, were uh, just married. We were still in college, and um, we had just been married. And of course, uh, like any other young couple, we were in desperate need of money. <laughs> and um, we had just married. We were uh, living in this small 
a studio apartment uh, on Rutgers campus, and um, it was this great apartment building that was right next to a frat house. Can you imagine? Wasn't that great? <laughs> the sights, the sounds, the smells. Well, what a great experience, right? And so we were, um, but we were also fairly new Christians. About two years um, we had been Christians, and so, um, so we needed money. So Claudia had found a job, and we were trying to do the whole school and work thing at that, at that time. And so uh, I responded to an ad in the paper and, uh, for a job, and it was selling a music subscription. Now, if you remember back in the day, used to get those things where like for a penny you could join a club and you would get CDs, remember those? And even cassette tapes sent to you. I'm really dating myself, but it was that kind of thing. And, and so it was, they needed people to sell. And of course they promised a lot of money. Oh, you could make a ton of money every week. You get a big check and all you have to do is just call people and just sell them on this great, amazing product that they're going to want anyway. And I said, well, okay, I need to make some money and let me give it a shot. I love music. And at the time I was in a band and, and, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm all about music so I can just sell it to people. That'll be easy. So I went to this, this seminar, it was like an open house and there was a room of about 50 people. And the guy was, who kind of owned the company was presenting what the job would be like. And it started great. And you know, you'd be, you'd be calling people and telling them about our great product that they just give a certain amount of money and, and uh, every month they'll, you know, they'll get uh, music. And, and then he started to talk about all the different ways that we are to sell the product, right? No matter what the people were questioning. And he started to say things like, no matter what their questions are, you just tell them we can do it. You just assure them it, that, that it, it'll be exactly what they want. He said, even, I remember he said, even if they say they don't have the money, you make sure you make that sale because you know what they want. So all of a sudden it didn't sit right with me in my spirit. Again, I'm a new Christian and, and it sounded good at first, but then he's talking about all these things that I'm saying to myself, this sounds immoral. This just doesn't sound right. To me. And he starts talking about how much money I could quickly make. And he's like saying, like, sell it at all costs. Don't take no for an answer, right? Sell as much as you can. It quickly started to feel like a scam. Like I would be part of trying to sell something to somebody that they didn't need and to sell something to somebody that even if they wanted it, they would not be getting anything close to what I was offering. And so what happened was, it kind of was welling up in my spirit. I remember it, if it was like yesterday, and, and about three quarters of the way through the meeting, there was a break, and I, I told the guy, I said, I'm leaving, because this isn't for me. And I thought the guy would just say, okay, thanks for coming. And so he says, why not? And he was sort of, you know, trying to be real stern. And I said to him, well, I'm a Christian, and the things that you are saying don't sound right to me. I don't think God would want me to do those things. And so quickly the guy said to me, well, I'm a Christian too. And this is a great company led by Christians and we're doing a good thing for the people, something to the, that effect. And then I said, well, look, I, I'm newly married and I need money. Oh, you'll get a big check every week. And I said, well, look, I'm telling you, I'm a Christian and, and I just can't do this. It's not right. And he says to me, oh, do you think you're better than me? He says, and what do you think? You think a check is just going to come out of nowhere to pay your bills? So the guy started mocking me, even at the same time, saying he was also a Christian. 
And so I left there, and I remember sitting in the car, and I wept. I wept for many reasons. I wept because, God, did I do the right thing? I need money for my new family to support my wife. God, I thought this would be a good thing. But also weeping, thinking, how did I fall into this? How could I step into a situation like that? Even then, then asking God for forgiveness that I would even stay there that long. You know, all these emotions, right? We're thinking, man, that was, that was something that really stuck with me. And, and here I was, a new Christian, and just saying, I am a Christian. This is why I cannot participate in this. And right away, he called me out. He called me out saying, you think you're better than me. And there was this um, thing that happened two weeks later, which really brings the whole story to a point for me. I might have shared part of this in the past, this part of the story, but not what I just shared. So the guy, remember, right before I left, he said to me, oh, you need money. What do you think? That a check's just going to come out of nowhere? Two weeks later, a check came out of nowhere. We received... A refund, remember we were Rutgers at the time, we received a refund from Claudia's uh, financial aid, a refund that we did not expect. It was supposed to be $70, but it was $700. Guess how much our rent was for that month? $700. And so I called Claudia and I said, what should we do? And she said, well, you gotta call financial aid, right? Again, like, do we just take it and don't say anything? What do we do? Again, as a new Christian, what's the right thing to do? What would God want me to do? So I called financial aid, and it was just about, it was in the middle of the summer, and I told them the issue, and she said, let me get back to you, and she, she was actually put me on hold, came back on, and she said, well, let me tell you, we just overhauled our whole computer system, so even if it was a mistake, I wouldn't know. So that $700 is yours. A check came out of nowhere. Boy, did I feel like going back to that guy and saying, look at this check that I got, just came out of nowhere. Does God always reward us like that directly? No, but it's always the right thing to do to stand up for your faith, even in the midst of being ridiculed. So this other story came to mind, and uh, I was um, also young Christian, it was even earlier than this, I was still in school, I'd only been a believer maybe six months, and and uh, one of my friends who lived down the hall in my, in my dorm, he came in one Saturday night, and uh, he came in, and he was drunk. And uh, my roommate was out, and I was there, and I knew the guy came in and didn't know he was drunk at first, and he walks in the door, and then I could quickly see it. And uh, he was this big um, Irish Catholic, and he was drunk, and, and he said to me, he said, hey, Keith, come on down the hall, because we're all drinking. We're all going to get drunk tonight. I said, no, I, said, I even forget the guy's name. I said, I said, no, I said, I don't, I don't drink. I don't, uh, I don't get drunk. And he says, oh, why not? I said, well, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in getting drunk. So he goes, oh, I'm a Christian too. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, I'm a Christian too. I'm a good Catholic. He goes, oh, we're just having fun, you know? And I said, no, it's okay. I don't want to. So then instead of leaving, he started to get belligerent. You know what he said to me? Words that sounded just like this other story. He said, oh, you think you're better than me? So somehow, I don't remember how this transpired, but somehow we started talking about the Pope and the Catholic Church. And so as a new believer wanting to stand up for my faith, 
Somehow the words came out, and I said to him, I said, you know, the Pope is no closer to God than I am. I am a Christian. And here, my friend, a good Irish Catholic, who was also drunk at the time, (laughs) turned red in the face and started berating me yelling, the expletives were flying, and he was going crazy. Friends down the hall came, what's going on? And he was yelling at me, talking about how great the Pope is and how I am nothing, and he's a true Christian, I'm not a Christian. He's questioning my faith, and all the while, I didn't know what to say. I was I stood there dumbfounded. I didn't know this was about to happen, and he's going on and on. I don't even remember how he finally left, but when he did, I just remember I was there alone and I'm sitting there thinking, what just happened? Is this what it's gonna be like? So I think, and as we're reflecting back this morning on that story, I think the moral of that story is never get in an argument about the Pope with a drunk Irish Catholic. I think that's the story. Put that in your notes, just a good reminder. But see, we can all like probably share stories similar to that. But before we unpack this passage, I want to share one last thing about that. Church, I'm just being honest with you. As I reflected on those stories this week that the Lord brought to mind about different times, I'm thinking, Lord, thank you for the reminder of those. And I was honest talking to God saying, God, those two things happened when I was a very young Christian, the first few years of my life and walk with the Lord. How come I didn't remember other more recent instances? Because I think the scripture makes it clear too that if the world is going to hate us, why do I not have a plethora of stories like that? And I started to ask myself, have I lost the impact of my public witness? Because Peter here is talking about living our Christian lives in front of others. And perhaps I need to reflect on that more myself. It doesn't mean we go looking for a fight. It doesn't mean we go poking the bear, so to speak. But the reality is, the scripture teaches us the truth that we will be persecuted somehow, some way, at some time or another, because of our faith. And if we're not, maybe we... Maybe we take stock of that and just bring it before the Lord and see what he has to say. But you know, we are called separate people. Peter tells these Christians, you are elect. You are chosen. You are the beloved. You are privileged, but yet you are exiles. He reminds us that we are, in our passage for this morning, that we are sojourners and exiles which means we're just passing through. If you're a sojourner, it means you're, you're just passing through, right? If you're gonna walk from New Jersey to California, you're sojourning in a way, you're passing through those states. You don't become citizens of every one of those states. You don't live there. You're just walking and passing through. See, he's saying that's the way we are as Christians in this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, see? And he's saying, remember that, to keep your eyes on Christ and not on the things of this world. So he talks about the things of the flesh, but Peter reminds us that we truly do not belong here. We are aliens and exiles. But 
with a purpose. A reminder from last week, and then we'll dig into this week's passage. We were told in last week's passage, beginning of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, that we are exiles with a purpose. And this is the way Peter said it, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has delivered us from darkness into his marvelous light. So we are exiles, we are aliens in this world, we are sojourners with a purpose to proclaim. So yes, Peter is about to show us that we are to live our lives and conduct ourselves with actions that are God-glorifying, but yet it starts with our words. It starts, what's in our heart comes out of our mouth, and then our, our actions are to back it up. See that? So he says we are to proclaim, that means with our words, tell others of the gospel, but then how are we living our lives, church? Is it backing up, right? Are our actions backing up our words? That's really what he's trying to get at, right? So let's briefly unpack this. So in verses 11 and 12, this is uh, highlighted these sections I want you to look at. Just briefly, we'll do this together. In verses 11 and 12, he kind of sets the stage. You see what he says? He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, reminding them, to do what? To abstain from the passions of the flesh. See, he's saying, look, yes, we live in these earthen vessels, in these, these jars of clay, these fleshly bodies. But he says, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. See, this is where it starts in the head and the heart. This is the private Christian life, because it starts here, right? He's saying, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Again, the flesh meaning things of this world, things that, that draw us away from the spiritual, from God, to what is earthly, which is not our home. See, he's saying that he's setting this up and he's saying, abstain from these things, which he has listed in detail elsewhere, the passions of the flesh, the things that draw us away from God, which wage war against your soul. Church, we've all been there. We all sense that. We have these sins that we keep going back to and it feels like a war, doesn't it? It's a war being waged against our soul, these sins that lead to anxiety, to depression, these sins that lead us to be recluse and stay away from church and from others because we feel guilty. It's those things, those passions of the flesh. They wage war against the soul, again, internal. That's where it starts. But then he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The uh, Gentiles meaning Anybody who's not a Christian, see? But you see what he does? He starts by saying, it starts in here, in your heart, in your mind. How is your relationship with God? Yes, the private one, the one behind closed doors that you and God know about. How is your walk with the Lord, your private walk with the Lord, your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because what he's saying is that is going to come out and people are going to see it. And if it's fake, people will know. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he starts with the heart and mind, but then he says your conduct you are to keep honorable. But then look, he says so that. So he gives a reason. So it starts with how you are in your heart and mind with God. How are you doing? By putting aside those fleshly passions that wage war in your soul. Because your conduct is to show your faith in front of others so that, and this is important, look at the reason, so that 
when they speak against you as evildoers, when they, the non-believers, make fun of you and ridicule you and speak out against you, not if, but when. You notice that? When they do speak out against you, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day of visitation, meaning when Christ returns, or perhaps interpreted that day when Christ calls them to believe. So what he's saying, man, this is so important, church. He's saying, look, your conduct, the way that you present yourself as a Christian in front of others, family, friends, colleagues, employers, government officials, whoever it is, it says it will draw people to Christ. They may see your good deeds and then glorify God. It doesn't mean your good works will save yourself or others, but what it means is when you are honorable in your faith, when you stand firm on your faith, when you don't compromise your faith in front of others, it will, I believe, give non-believers a reason to take a second look at Jesus Christ. You see that? If they ridicule you or they're just about to, but yet your conduct gives them no reason to, they'll take a second look. See, he's saying that our public Christian life is meant to draw people to Jesus, not to ourselves, but to Jesus. How are we doing with that? See, that's what he's telling us. So it starts again with what's inside. Matthew 12, 34 says it this way. This is Jesus calling out the, the, the Jewish religious leaders. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus talked about that often, didn't he? Especially to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He calls them a brood of vipers. He says, how can you speak good words when you're evil in your heart, you see? You can't say one thing but believe another. Uh, we try, don't we? We will be found out by others, but of course, always by God. He, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's remember that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you believe, what you think, will eventually manifest itself in what you say, and then, of course, in what you do. Matthew 15, 18 but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. So it begins in here. But make no mistake, Peter is saying our public witness is key, right? Is key to bringing others to Christ. It is our public witness. But look at so the next couple of verses, 13 and 14. Then he gets a little more specific. So how do we live out this public Christian life? He says, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, for this is the will of God that, here you go, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You see that? Again, by doing good, the people that want to mock you for being a Christian that say, oh, you're better than me? even those who claim the name of Christ, but put you down at the same time. He says, by doing good works, you will put them to silence. Church, let's not give anyone a reason to doubt our faith. Let's not give anyone a reason by our actions 
to ridicule us. We are to stand firm. And so he says, how do we do this? Well, first of all, be subject to those in authority over you. Hmm. All levels. He starts with the emperor. We might start with the president. The president, he says, then the governors. Okay, we have presidents. We have governors. We have mayors. We have police. Are we being respectful to those that God has put in authority over us? Now, why did he put authority uh, over us in our lives? He says, for two specific reasons, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. You see, God, this is important. Church, God instituted human government. You know that? It's one of God's divine institutions, human government. He did it for our sake, for his honor and his glory for our sake. But for very simple and specific reasons, right? I won't get all political. I'm just getting biblical. (laughs) And he says, the government, really, those in authority over you should do two main things, punish evil and reward good. Of course, we know there's other things, a few other things that protect us, right? And, and, and keep the law you know, from society going into chaos and all that. But mainly, it is to punish evil and do good. See, at the time, the people that were reading this, that were reading these letters, they hadn't been yet uh, experiencing that severe persecution that I mentioned earlier, but yet they were being mocked and ridiculed for their faith. And so he's saying, look, obey the government. Because even at the time, like in general, those in charge right? Those, the Roman occupiers, at least at that point to the brand new thing called the church, these Christians, they were still, for the most part, punishing evil and rewarding good. That is what a government is supposed to do in general, biblically speaking. Here's what it says in Romans 13. It's not on the screen, but listen to this. Romans 13. This is the passage. It's the one we just read. Run this one up there. And this one in Romans 13, 1 to 10, you can turn to it in your Bibles if you like, is the passage of the New Testament about our relationship as Christians to government, okay? Here's what it says. Listen to these words. This is the Apostle Paul now, writing in Romans 13, 1 to 10. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Sounds just like what Peter said, right? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But hey, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Write that in the margin of your notes of your Bible, Romans 13, 1 through 10. A great treatise on our relationship to human government. 
But you see here, Peter even goes a little bit further, and he says, by doing good and by being subject to these authorities that God has ordained and instituted for our good, when we do that, we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Those who are ready to mock us will hopefully take reason to pause. Do you see what he's saying there? Mm-hmm. But we do it for the Lord's sake. We do it to honor God. See, we honor God when we honor authority. And it's all from him. Jesus elsewhere said in Matthew 26, it says about Jesus, you know, when Jesus was mocked for his faith, when Jesus was ridiculed, when he was wrongly accused, talk about injustice. We talk about injustice a lot in our society, right? What about the injustice that Jesus incurred, that he had to endure But Jesus kept silent, it says, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are Christ, the Son of God. It said Jesus kept silent. Matthew 27, while Jesus was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. In Matthew 27 later, and he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge, so the governor was quite amazed. When Jesus was falsely accused, he stood silent. He did not fight back with his words. He did not ridicule them in return. He did not call them names. He stood silent before his accusers. It was predicted, Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Let us look at the example of Christ when we are ridiculed. A couple more things before we close. How about in verse 17? Maybe you want to highlight this, underline it in your Bibles. What a great summary of all that that Peter is saying, right? Makes it kind of simple for us. Let us do these four things in light of others. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. That means Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So he's saying the public Christian life looks like this. First, honor everyone. That means everybody, not just the church, everybody. Always show them honor. How are we doing with that? Are we showing people honor? Why? Why would we do that? Because the Bible teaches us that every single human being is made in the image of God. The image is tainted The image is tainted because of sin, but every human being is made in the image of God. God is the author of life. We read that all the way back in the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis. So why should we honor people, even people that we deem to be evil, even people that want it, that are out for our blood, so to speak? Why should we honor them? Because God made them. And because Christ died so that salvation could be offered to them as well. Because we're all made in the image of God. Therefore, we are to show honor to all people. But then he says, more specifically, love the brotherhood, which simply means the church. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. We talked about this a week or two ago. We talked about the fact that Jesus even teaches us they will know, the world will know You are mine if you love one another. And you remember at the Last Supper, Jesus gave that commandment. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. 
See, we're told over and over, as part of our public witness, how we treat each other. Because if people that aren't yet Christians see us treating each other poorly, mocking each other, talking behind each other's back, taking each other to court, whatever it might be, what are they going to think of our God? That's what Peter's trying to say. So honor everybody, because we're all made in the image of God, and love Christians. Love each other. That's how the world will know that we are Christ's and that we belong to him because of the way we love each other. See, it starts in this church. It starts here. How are we doing with that? Then he says, fear God. So we're talking about relationships. The whole world, church, and of course, God, fear God. It's not a fear of like terror. It's a means respect. Are you showing proper reverence to God because of who he is? How do you, this is a simple question. How do we treat God? Do you treat him just like a buddy? Yes, he's our friend, but do we honor and respect and revere the almighty God of the universe? So we are to fear God. In front of others, how we speak to him, do we use his name in vain? And finally, honor the emperor. So he's saying even in human government. So the whole world, the church, of course, God, he says, honor the emperor, the king, the president, the governors, the mayor, the police, those in authority over you. Honor everyone. It's a great summary verse for all that he's saying. Hmm. Then he says this. I won't read all the rest, but in verse 18, he says something else. How about another kind of relationship we're involved with? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. So how do we uh, translate that for us today? How about your employer? Are you being honorable and respectful to the one that employs you, to the one that signs your paycheck? Are you being respectful? See, in this context, it was servants and masters. How about for us? Are, are you at work when you're at work every day? Are you honoring your employer? Right? Are you being deceitful and disrespectful, talking about them with other coworkers and colleagues behind their back? Maybe people won't notice. You'll fit right in, right? Be part of the, the, the gang, right? But he's saying, you know what? Be subject to your masters with all respect. Be subject to those in authority over you. Specifically, how about those that, how about your bosses at work? How about your supervisors at work? But look at what he said just briefly, how he unpacks this not only to the good and gentle, like it's easy, right, to respect and honor the people that are respecting and honoring you, right? Isn't that easy? Peter says, yeah, to them, of course, but also to the unjust. Wait a minute. Even to my boss who talks about me behind my back, who blames me on those things, who says that I stole that money, even those we are to respect and honor, 19, for this is a gracious thing when merciful God, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. How about that? Just unpack that in your minds for a moment. That would be a whole nother sermon series. How do we act as Christians in the midst of great injustice? Injustice towards us, right? Being falsely accused. Remember, Jesus was falsely accused. It happens to us. So Peter is saying, look in verse 20, what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten up for it, you endure? Okay, well, he's saying, well, I guess you deserved it. 
to what credit is that? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. So you do good things, then you're ridiculed and you suffer for it, but you endure it like Jesus did, silent before his accusers, then that is a gracious thing in the sight of God, right? You're living by an example. And finally, what he says, wrapping up, he gives us that great example of Jesus Christ, and we don't want to miss it, church. Talking about Jesus, Peter says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Boy, if anybody had the right to be deceitful, to speak out against his false accusers, it was Jesus. But he committed no sin, no deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, and he was, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Is that how we act? Are we being Jesus-like? Are we being Christ-like publicly in front of others? Maybe in front of your coworkers when your boss falsely accuses you or calls you out, or somebody publicly ridicules you or mocks you for your faith. Oh, you think you're better than me? When he suffered, he didn't even threaten. But what did Jesus do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's God the Father. We are to do the same thing. Even in those moments of great injustice, when we are being uh, suppressed, when we are being um, oppressed for our faith, when we're being persecuted for being Christians, how do we act? Like Jesus or like the world would expect us to act? Hmm. Jesus continued entrusting himself to his father, because he's the one who judges justly. See, what Peter is saying, no matter what you're experiencing, he's saying, in the end, God is justice. God is the righteous judge. Let him judge. Let God be the judge. That's what Jesus was doing, letting the father have his way. The father will judge. What did Jesus say from the cross? Did he not say, to his accusers and the ones mocking him as he was hanging there on the cross, dying, dying such a painful death. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Let that be our mindset in the midst of persecution. Forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. We might want to say a whole slew of other words to them and about them, but how about we start with that? Give them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. The gospel tells us very plainly and clearly that we are sinners separated from a holy God and that we are separated because of our sin, not only just the things we do that are sinful, but because we are born separated from him. But God provided one way to be reconciled to him, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was the sacrificial system, and it was temporary, and it was pointing to the one coming Messiah that God had always promised. And Jesus came and was born 2,000 years ago, born to be that Messiah and born to die. And the gospel tells us very simply that in order to receive salvation, that great gift of God, we simply are to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, it says. Believe that he is who he says he is, the Son of God, and that he came to do what he said he was going to do, and he did it. That he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. 
And if we believe in that and that he did that, and he did it for us, for the salvation of our personal sin, the Bible says that you are saved. At that moment, you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit indwells you, never to leave you. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the public Christian life. See, this is not Peter saying, try your best, do your best, good luck, you're on your own, do these things that God says. No, because what God is calling us to do is impossible to do on our own. We are to do it in the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit within us. That's what we pray for. When we as believers obey the principles of this important passage of Scripture, it will authenticate and give credibility to our faith. When we stand, I want to read this in our closing. Remember the declaration of Jesus Christ during what we know to be the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said these words in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Let this be our, our great encouragement, but also our challenge. It won't be up on the screen for you, but just listen to these words. He says in Matthew 5, starting in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's our call. Salt and light, a city on a hill, so that they will see our good works and eventually give God glory. Let's pray. Father God, help us to live our private Christian lives very publicly. May we be people who live and work and have all relationships, Lord God, with integrity. May we be the same people when nobody's looking that we are when people are looking. Father, we can only do it. We can, over, oh, we can only ever overcome those temptations. Those temptations to return evil for evil. Those temptations to mock when we are mocked. Those temptations we can only overcome the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, as we leave this place now, may we remember those words, Father, that we are to honor everyone because they are made in your image, that we are to love brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are to fear God, and that we are to honor those in authority over us. God, help us to do that in every moment of every day, that we would honor you with our lips, but also with our actions. So, Father God, more and more people will come to know you. May they see Christ in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Proclaiming the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.